We begin at chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. This is word of God for the people of God. Amen. May God be glorified by the reading of His Word. You may be seated. I've been reading through the Psalms and I've made it beyond uh, Psalm 30 recently. And, and I've come to really enjoy that Psalm. If you've never read that one, it's so powerful. It talks about the nature and character of God and it measures how insignificant our lives are in the grand scheme of things in the cosmos. And one of the things he says, David says in that psalm is, if I die, how can I praise you? So I'm, I must be about praising you now. I must be about acknowledging you are God before I no longer can. And, and he, he kind of made me think about how in our life, how small we are compared to the vastness of things. Our earth, let alone anything like our solar system, is bigger than we are by so much that we're just one small speck. But if you go into the universe and the creation and all that, even our solar system is small compared to that. But what happens is we try to make God smaller and ourselves bigger in our thinking. And you know what I mean? Like we'll say, God, you don't know what I need. I know what I need. I know the better way for me to do things. So I'm not going to listen to you in this matter. And we'll tell God that He just doesn't know. But He made all this and put it all in motion. And so we think we know more than that. So we make ourselves bigger and God smaller for some reason. But the fact of the matter is, even in Isaiah, God says, there is no God but Me. There is no other. There is no one else who laid the foundation of the earth. There is no one else who you can call on who can save you. Nothing else can redeem you or set you free. And He knows the plans that He has for us. He knows the purpose for which He's created us and the design of our bodies and our world and how we fit in. And, and this, this is, to me, incredible that He even cares enough about each one of us to do that. And yet we say, you know, I think I know better. <laughs> I think, God, you got this one wrong. Although He's been doing this for eternity, we think we know better and we tell Him our plans and tell Him to bless them. Our priorities seem out of whack, especially seeing how vast the creation is, God can see it, and we're just focused on our little corner of the universe, which, if you want to look at it, isn't even a corner. 
It's very, very tiny. But that's hard to handle for some of us. So we have to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of this person who uh, when I'm interacting, there are times when I feel like, you know, I, I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't matter. I don't have anything to say. And so what am I even doing here? And I'll get anxious. Other times I'm interacting, I go, I got something to say. I got something to contribute. And I feel like I matter. And it's all based on my own self-perception. How God sees me is different than how I see me. And so, in life, what we learn is we have to learn God's perspective on things and on us and learn what that is so we can live that out. Because otherwise, we're going to create all this confusion about what life's about for us. This parable is no different. It tells a story and and we draw so much out of it, but we always forget what it starts with. And it says this parable is telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. How the heavenly father looks at others, us in this creation and how he wants us to respond to it. And so it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's not talking about us. It's talking about Him. And in this parable that Jesus tells us, He says this is how it happens. It actually happens like this. And of all the people who've walked this earth, He'd be the one to know. Wouldn't you agree? And so it's an inside look, if you will, at the inner workings of our Heavenly Father. Of how he runs things. And in this parable, it says he will come and settle accounts. In Revelation chapter 14, there's a passage there. It's often shared at funerals. And it talks about at the end of our lives, giving an account. And it says, blessed are those who rest from their labors. For their works follow them. Now what does that mean? It's those who rest from what they've done and invested in the kingdom of God and what they've done remains after they've died. Their works don't stop if they're eternity-based works. Their works follow them means they testify. They leave a legacy or a lasting fruit through their works. So that's what it means by their works follow them. Now, it also means this. If you didn't do anything, there's not much following you. The Master in this parable is telling us that what He's seeking to do is to look at the works of what He's given to His servants. He's coming to see what works follow them. In other words, what have you done with your life? He wants to settle things. And there will come a day. And it's not like a handshake settle like I have on this screen. It's a different kind of settling. It's a judgment throne of Christ. And that day will occur. And it doesn't matter what your personal feelings are, what people might say, whether it's true or not the public sentiment about it, or logical ideation some people might have about whether or not this is really something that's going to happen. 
It is going to come. There will come a day of accounting. In the church, for example, in the month of January, in a couple of grace days in February, we have to report everything we've done in the last 12 months for 2023. And we have to report that to the conference. It is not my favorite time of year. Because that means that we've got to talk about attendance, groups, ministries we've done, offerings we've done, um, all these different things. The mission, how everything was broken down, where it came from, where it went. And you have to get it balanced to the penny. And we have to report that and turn it in and then they make it a permanent record of the history of Palestine United Methodist Church of 2023. And that takes some time because you have to go back through 12 months of everything we've done and be rec- uh, record that and make sense of it. But, but I'm thankful it only happens once a year. In, in our annual conference, we do a, uh, I'm sorry, well, the annual conference coming up, we do that with all the churches. But in our charge conference here, we do that with just a local church and talk about what we want to do, what we have done, and what we see ourselves. We do that once a year. But we also have to show a budget. How we plan to do things. How we did things, reporting, and what we plan to do to make ourselves more effective as investors in God's kingdom in the year to come. And we do that Last time it was in November, and it's usually we, our date falls in November for that. But can you imagine, many years ago in the Methodist Church, it was quarterly. We had to have a quarterly charge conference. Every three months you had to report on your last three months and where you're at and what you're going to do the next three months. I am so glad they stopped that. Now it's just, as a matter of fact, I would sign on with joy if it was just quadrennalia. Like once every four years, you got to figure that out. A lot less paperwork, a lot less work, and, and, and it's better that way. But you know what? If you're like me, I don't like to balance the checkbook. Nowadays, you got all this online stuff and electronic stuff, but you still got to balance it so you know if you have anything left and where it's going. But if you don't know <laughs> how much you got where, there's things called overdraft fees. And you don't want to pay those because it's their way of saying we're charging you because you don't have money. That's how I look at that. And we're going to charge you and keep charging you because you don't have money and you can't afford to pay this, so we're going to charge you more money to prove you can't pay anything. That's what I think that is. But imagine that, that if you don't know what's in your account and you want to do something or purchase something and you don't know how much you got, how do you feel? Uncertain, right? You feel unsettled. Like, I don't know where things stand. I don't like that feeling. Even if I balanced the books a month ago, I'm going to balance them again the following month because I get anxious when I don't know where things stand. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy to do that. 
I'm saying it takes my anxiety away and it's worth it. So you can imagine then that if we have an accounting, that our Heavenly Father has one also. That there will come a day. And that day will occur because He doesn't like that unsettled stuff either. He wants to get it done. He wants things settled in an unsettled world. He's not going to leave His books unaudited. But isn't He perfect? Doesn't He know what's in His books? Doesn't He already know? Well, it's a different book than that. It's not a cash balance book. His book is the Lamb's book of life. And the works which do follow us are recorded amongst the redeemed. So when He begins to balance that book, for some of us, that day is going to be a good day of great joy. Because our works will show. In this parable, at the very beginning of it, it says that this man who was traveling to far country called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And then he was about to take a journey. And the goods that he gave is kind of like the Heavenly Father giving out resources, talents, investing in us that we might invest in His kingdom. And as I was working on this, I thought, is it possible that the goods delivered by the Heavenly Father to us could be His Word? Could it be the prophets? Could it be the gift of the Holy Spirit as a resource? Do you think maybe His Son Jesus Christ is something very good that He gave to us? Do you think maybe those things are valuable? I don't think that this parable is talking specifically about those kind of talents and goods. But, I do believe those are resources which the uninvested in the kingdom of God ignore. So if people discredit Jesus, the Holy Spirit, baptism, the Bible, or prophecy, you know they're not invested very much in the kingdom of God. And he would know that too, for sure. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes some words, and I think these are the words that this master who's gone away on the journey would write or tell those people who are receiving his resources. I think Paul captured God's heart with this verse. It says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That that is what he's telling his servants. Represent me well with the gospel. Do what you need to do with one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and do what I would do if I were here investing what I've given you. I think that's a clear picture. After all, I don't think God is detached. There are some people who would say this. That God has created the world now. He's watching to see what happens. And I don't think He's a gone on a journey. Okay? It says He's like that. 
But what he's also like is the one who's gone on a journey who returns. He doesn't return like all the time, but after a time. Because it says in verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. One at a time. Not account, accounts. Each one had an account with him. And so each one got an audience with him to settle. But it said after a long time. Not a short bit of time. And we sometimes take God's delay as if He's not actually invested or coming back. Or we have more time. We always seem to risk on the wrong side of the equation. It is clear from this parable that He's coming back. Very clear. But it also says after a long time. 2,000 years is a long time. Long time. But He will return. And He will ask us to give an accounting. The problem is, is we forget our role in the relationship with God. As I alluded to earlier, we, we kind of think, well, God's kind of busy. He's not really invested. He's not answering prayers. So I'm going to have to make these decisions do what I think based on what I think is best without consulting the Word of God or faith-loved people. So I'm going to make these decisions myself. What's best for me? And we forget the role in this relationship. Listen to this in the story and see if you miss what's in our relationship with God that is not in this story. It says, He called His servants and delivered His goods to them. In this story, those servants who are faithful are granted rulership when the day of accounting comes. They go from servant to ruler. They're not servant to greater servant or over servants. They go from servant to ruler over many. And now that sounds really good. But listen, we're not servants. We're not servants in the household of God. We are children of God. No longer orphans. We're not serving as a servant. We're learning as His children. And the children don't just get to be ruler. They get the inheritance for the children. Not the rulership that the servant will work and do. So what is it then that the child of God receives if it's not rulership? What's better than that? Well, it tells us clearly what lies in store for those who love God and live according to His call in their life. It says you'll be priests, co-rulers with Jesus. Co-rulers. That means the only authority you have is Jesus and God, not somebody else, somebody else, somebody else in a stair-step authority thing. But you are equal with Jesus in rulership. Co-rulers, priests, 
jewels and shining like stars. Servants don't get that. His children are going to be bestowed with His glory upon them. That's so much more than a servant. But here we're looking at this story like, well, this is about me. But you're not a servant if you belong to Jesus. You're a child of God. So this is about how God's going to treat His servants. How do you think He's going to treat His children on the day of accounting? Revelation told us, didn't it? That He will say, you are blessed who belong to Me and your works will show forth how much you rule over with My Son. That day of accounting for God's children will be a day of great joy if we're not found to be orphans. Never forget your role in this relationship with God. He's the Father. And so we listen to Him. Servants do it because they're told. Children honor their parents because they love them. And they know that their parents have their best interest in love for them. The truth is, you will not have any peace whatsoever until you've settled in your heart that you're going to serve God and God alone, even as His child that you prefer to serve. To make yourself just a servant in His kingdom and learn how to be His child. There has to be a settling inside of you on this matter. There is no plan B. There is no sideways look at another opportunity that might be better or another opportunity or plan other than God's. And I'm going to look at that for a minute because God's waiting. He's slow. He's not doing anything. You have to say to yourself this, I am doing things God's way from now on without question, without hesitation. And I need His help to do that. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit in me to help me do that. And I need His Son's blood over me to be able to be able even to be worthy to call myself a child that I don't get to give myself that title. He gives it to me. I am an orphan without Jesus. I do not belong. I can only hope for a servant's role. But as a child, I can hope for an heirship. I pray that each one of us understands that in the grand scheme of things, we're not that big. We're not that important. We're really not. But God has said, I fashioned you. I molded you. I created you the way I created you because I have an idea of what your life is supposed to be about. And there's a way to walk it that will really fulfill who you are and give you peace inside. But you can't do it without me. Because you don't know what that is. I have to show you. I have to show you as a father shows his child one step, one day at a time. And you have to resolve that there is nothing more important to you than that. To be able to do that. Because he will not accept a compromised member in his household. 
He wants someone who's 100% His. And you might say, but I don't know how to be 100%. Praise God. Praise God. You're not supposed to know how. You're supposed to ask Him to show you how to live it and breathe it. Until the day He calls you home, you'll still be learning. And let me tell you this, okay? In the story of the ruler and the servants, it's lived out in this cosmos, this planet, environment. God has a bigger picture in mind for you. He's trying to teach you how to be a member of His kingdom. To be a ruler in His kingdom. Not a ruler over little stuff down here. Even if you own the whole planet, it's small compared to what God wants to do for you. He wants to establish His presence and His kingdom through you. But you got to learn to live like you're a member of His kingdom and not let this world tell you how it's supposed to be. There's only one who knows. And that's the one who's your supervisor and your father. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, that You love us is, uh, is the thing that the servants in the story didn't understand. One was in fear of You and afraid and buried what You gave them, did nothing with it because they were afraid. They didn't know that You loved. Because if they did, the fear in that relationship would be gone. But when You call us Your child, it's a child of love. Help us to lose the fear in the relationship, but to gain the awe and the respect that You consider us. As small and insignificant in this cosmos as we are, You see us. And You say, I want You with me. And there's a way You can do that. Let me show You. Lord, may we surrender to that today. No plan B. Amen. Turn to um, 345. Let's do the